Better Call Saul Season 5, Episode 6, Wexler v. Goodman, is over, but we're just getting started here at Post Show Recaps, the Better Call Saul Recap Podcast. Hello, everyone. I am Antonio Mazzaro, and I am thrilled and a little bit scared, honestly, to talk about what happened on Better Call Saul this week with my main man, Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Uh, I'm feeling like either we need to stop doing this podcast or we got to get married. I should have uh, I should have known that that's where we're going to go. Uh, yeah, that's the marriage, Josh. Marriage is what brings marriage. us together today. <laughs> what brings us together love, today? True love. Uh, uh, twist that away. <laughs> is that... Uh, was that dream was within a dream? Was, say man and wife. It was this uh man and wife. <laughs> was this something that you? Uh, did this come out of nowhere? Left field for you? It feels like a left field ending for a lot of people. All right. So obviously we are we're in the thick of it now. Uh, we're kind of like talking about the the spoilery stuff in a, uh, a a bit of an abstract way, but we're gonna get right into it. I think because how can we not? Uh, that you know this episode largely centered on Jimmy going full Saul Goodman on uh, Saul Goodman Saul Goodman uh, on Kim I think Wexler. You made him more Jewish. <laughs> Saul Goodman, uh, I can say that I am yeah. Jewish. Uh, Saul Goodman uh, on Kim Wexler, and uh, man, it was ugly and it was awful and it was horrible to have to watch and sit through. Um, that is one of the worst feelings I have had watching television. Period. Let alone uh, a show set in the the Breaking Bad, uh, Better Call Saul universe. Um, and when we got to that final scene, and Kim is you know kind of like gearing up to give Jimmy the what for, like you fucking like Jimmyed me, like you sawed me, like you cannot do that. Uh, when she when she went and like really dug into him, uh, you know, dropped hard F's and everything. Um, I actually said out loud as she was taking her shoes off and like rolling her sleeves up. I said out loud as I was watching the episode, I was like, oh, so she's about to beat him up. Like yeah. I thought that she was literally physically yeah. going to kick the crap out of Jimmy and that almost no beat down in the history of television was more deserved. Uh, and then instead she basically proposes to him. So that was not on my radar in any way, shape or form. There was zero universe in which I believed she was going to uh, say, um, let's get married. Uh, like either we have to end this or we get married. And I'm grateful to have this podcast as a vehicle through which to work uh, <laughs> through our better call Saul psychic harm that has been inflicted upon us because I'm I'm not entirely sure that I understand where she's at emotionally. I'm I'm struggling to figure out if this is very left field or if this is very tragically right where she has been for a long time. Um, and grateful to be here talking to the master uh, to to get it through. Um, so I don't know. I don't know, Uncle Tonio, but this episode made me feel pretty bad. You call me the master. You saying I look like the guy from The Strain? It's Stragoy! I should hope not. Uh, no, this is not a thing. It, we it, Look, it wasn't. It was left field, but I think what we should talk about is whether we feel like it makes sense, even though it's coming from the outfield in instead of the infield out. And we, of course, start the episode with a little bit more drips and drabs of information about Kim that maybe helps illustrate where her head is at or how cooked it might be. Uh, she probably, it would be safe to say that she is the adult child of an alcoholic at this point in her life. Yeah. Uh, and there are 12 step groups for that, specifically ACOA and others. Uh, Al Anon is a support group for people who live with 
alcoholics because you pick up your own uh, situations, you pick up your own mental health problems through living with that disease. Sometimes it's PTSD. Sometimes uh, it can just be learned patterns of behavior, uh, whether it's codependence or some other kind of sickening thing that goes on in your life. Um, we have, I think, throughout the series, seen these little details filled in about Kim. Um, you and I, before we were on the podcast, we just said the words Red Cloud, Oklahoma, or was it Red Cloud, Nebraska? Red Cloud, Nebraska. Red, Red Cloud, Nebraska is where, uh, where we meet her in the, the beginning of the episode when she's um, you know much younger, uh, obviously, when she's a child. And that's not the first time we have connected that little town to Kim uh, in her first interview uh, with the full-on partners at Schweikert and Coakley. Uh, right after the interview, she, of course, calls Rich Howard, which is very awkward. Uh, but yes. in that interview, she talks about why she left that town. Uh, and part of why she left was she didn't see much of a future for herself there. Maybe getting ma- married to the cashier at the Hinky Dinky uh, was her best option, I believe, is what she said. And she talks about her background a little bit. She has also talked in the past about really liking Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird and seeing that sort of crusader in herself. Um, the first scene of this episode clearly shows that she has been this bullheaded uh, person who has had to deal with a very irresponsible parent uh, since she was young. Uh, and that's where we get with that scene. Uh, it was uncomfortable and it was unfortunate to see Kim Wexler like that. I thought that actress did a phenomenal job of really that look like Kim Wexler, the look on her face yeah, and her the way name she is, walked. Uh, Katie Beth Hall is the name of the actress who played young Kim Wexler. Yeah, she did such a good job of really channeling the speech patterns, the halting uh, speech patterns of Kim Wexler, the the physicality of the Oftentimes, role. Oftentimes, this fails so hard, yes. right? Like when you try to like present a main character as a child and you bring a child actor in. Like oftentimes, like I ha- I I have no belief that this person will grow up to become the character. Why are you trying to come at Jake I Lloyd recognize? like that, Josh? <laughs> he suffered enough. Uh, the poor man. He had to retire. I I don't want to bag on Jake Lloyd any further than uh, has he ever heard the tale of Darth Plagueis the Wise? <laughs> is my question to you. Um, but the but but the casting here was really really great to the details that you're talking about the mannerisms um, the the way that she speaks uh, really felt very Kim Wexler um, to the point that you know before the word Kim is uttered there is zero doubt in my mind that we are watching Kim Wexler as a kid definitely and what we're seeing in Kim Wexler as a kid is is this psychosis or whatever you want to call it that has put her in the position she's in uh, where she's seeking to repeat these patterns of chaotic behavior with Jimmy McGill uh, or Saul Goodman, if you will. And I will, she, she, we see sort of the genesis of this, that her mom said, I just had the one beer, honey, get in the car. She smells it. She refuses to get in the car such that such that she will not only walk three miles in the snow at night, uh, but she's been waiting. Um, we got an email from the great Alexander Chester, the man in black himself. Yes. Um, <laughs> Here he, he comes. says, uh, why doesn't young <laughs> Kim at least put her bags in the car? Hashtag friends. Don't let instruments ride drunk. Uh, so oh, she could have at least put her instrument in there, but she's proving a point very clearly uh, in this moment uh, when she is carrying the instrument home and her mom is saying, like, you never listen. You don't learn. Like, these are the things that she's saying about Kim. Kim listens. Uh, I Well, 
put it this way, Kim hears. Uh, whether or not it sinks into the point she actually listens is definitely something we can we can unpack with her and Jimmy. I think there are probably some people in the audience who are thinking that on the, the, the TV show level, she just wants to get married to Jimmy to preserve some sort of legal marital privilege. Uh, that is not it at all from a legal standpoint. Uh, they're not married, so anything they've done up to now is certainly fair game. And then when they are married, it only works if the person wants to assert it. So it's no real protection in that that regard. Uh, I, I just don't think that um, that it has anything to do with that. It has more to do with the fact that, Josh, we've on this podcast talked about how the capers between Jimmy and Kim are when they're at their most connected, or when they're at their most, you know, just uh, fervently uh, energetic from a romantic standpoint. This was a huge violation, and yet it, it gets a huge response in return. Do you see these as the two choices, like break up or get married? Is it why? Why are those the two choices in Kim's mind? Do you think? I think one of the things that is starting to really come to light about. Kim and how long has this been, you know, kind of baked into the premise of the character versus something that has been like kind of like seized upon recently in the writing. You could split that difference however you'd like. Um, But the season is really making a point to stress that a lot of Kim's life has been built on impermanence and not having home. Um, literally as, as a kid bouncing around, um, having, uh, you know, a parent who she can't trust, um, feeling like she's the only adult in the room. Um, all of these different things that are so difficult, uh, for a child. And, uh, as I have learned, uh, in my life, uh, you, you, you're a kid and you think someday there's just going to be the magic button that, that flips and now I'm an adult now. And none of the things that happened to me as a child will matter anymore. And I will just have a new set of experiences and none of that existed anymore. And I'm just an adult and that's how it's always been. And it doesn't really work like that. Uh, You know, what happened to you early in your life, it follows you uh, and you incorporate it, hopefully, in in ways that are that are healthy and and good. But certainly there are things that you're going to incorporate in ways that are like you're deeply scarred by something. Um, And I think that she carries this impermanence around in a way that is making more sense to me as far as how it's manifesting now that I think that a big piece of the betrayal from Jimmy right now is like, how could you do that to me? How could you do that to me? You're my home. I've stuck by your side through so much. You have been home to me for so long, longer than the the year or so that they have been in a relationship, longer than more than a year, right? It's like the better part of two years that they've been in a relationship yeah. at this point. Um, but they've been close for what a decade, Probably, something yeah. like that. Um, you know, this guy is home to her, uh, to somebody who doesn't have like an extended family she cares about. To the 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 fact that the that Chuck McGill was somebody that she admired in such a big way that to to go up against Chuck was not a nothing deal. It, in in a way, it was like going up against a father figure. Almost it felt like. Um, so the McGill family has been home to her in so many ways, and when she. You know, when she turns Jimmy's offer down to work together and and things like that along the way over the course of the show, you always do get this sense that it it matters a lot to her that she's not breaking that tie, that that bond between them stays, even if she's making a choice that she thinks is like better for her own personal career. 
she's always very hesitant as far as like, how is this going to impact us personally? And I do think that this season for me has really clarified that idea that like for better and for often for worse, and it's probably only going to get worse. Jimmy McGill is her home. Um, And in this moment of real desperation, rather than reading the room and rather than like finally, um, you know, succumbing to the weight of who Jimmy McGill obviously is and what being in a home with Jimmy McGill obviously means, I think she still feels like she has finally found something semi-permanent and she doesn't want to let it go. Uh, So those are the extreme options. It's like either we destroy this thing and you let me do it and you agree with me that we need to destroy this thing or I'm going to go deeper into it with you. Uh, and I'm heartbroken over that choice, but I actually do think it makes a, a, a strong measure of sense in the context of all of that. It definitely me. does in the context of all of that. And and when you consider that she did leave HHM, that, that she broke that with Howard, uh, and that was a major break for her as well. And she was very cognizant of what that meant. Uh, and she did that in part because of Jimmy's encouragement. She always had Jimmy to fall back on, even if she went to Schweikert and Coakley, even if she moved away from HHM, which had brought her up out of the mailroom, just like Jimmy, and paid for her to go to law school and done all that for her. She still had that to fall back on. She still had Jimmy. And the other thing about that, though, is there are two sides to that coin, uh, not just the two sides of the scale of we either blow this up or we get married, but the two sides to the coin are, yes, she had that to fall back on, and you can see that as a positive, but she is also uh, like vividly aware of the sunk cost fallacy. She even says it at some point, uh, call it the sunk cost fallacy or call it sunk cost. And that is, of course, the, the same thing I think people are saying. Uh, it's not quite throwing good money after bad, but it is basically like you may see the value in an investment differently because of how much money you've already put into it, not what its future value might be. You're not just looking at if you, if you take from this point on how much money you could or could not make or how, how valuable an investment may or may not be. You are, instead of looking from just that point on, you're considering everything you've put into the thing already. And it might not actually be a good investment, because, but, but for the fact that you're considering that. So I think there's that aspect of it as well, is even if it's not coming from a positive place, uh, like, hey, I know from a security standpoint and from a comfort standpoint and from these things that make me feel good in a positive positive way. I can always fall back on you. I think it could also be coming from a, well, I've put a lot of effort into this already. Yeah. I've done all these things in pursuit of this. I'm going to continue to pursue it. And But that what that means is we're going to have to go to the next level on this uh, because I can't just continue to tread water here. Either we're going to get more serious or we're going to completely end it. And I, I, I'm okay with either one, but we have to make, make the decision what we're doing. And I think that, to me, the negative aspect of that, that comes from a place of insecurity. That comes from a place of fear. That comes from a place of a person who moved around a lot. Um, so it's the two sides to that coin, right? That comes from the place of a person who has had to deal with a negative relationship with her mother when she was young. Uh, and she's putting that into that relationship and realizing, like, I've done all these things. I mean, I think the key thing for that to me is she's still waiting at the curbside. Like she, her mom is late. She knows what this is. She knows what this is, what the situation is. She knows it happens before she ever smells it on her mom's breath. She knows exactly what's coming around that bend. And yet she is still waiting for that car after school. She could have walked hours ago, presumably, or however long she was waiting. And yet she didn't. And she didn't because sunk cost, because she's already invested in dealing with this because this is a thing where she's going to walk away and prove her point, uh, but she's going to wait till mom shows up to prove that point. Uh, she's going to 
be stubborn right. about it, but it's going to be clear. She's put a lot of effort into this relationship already, so she's going to get something out of it by walking away when she does, waiting for mom to show up and then walking away. Uh, so I think that's a huge part of it for her. And I, I think it's also important to remember that this whole thing with her and Mesa Verde, it starts because of her hard work. And her hard work starts because Howard has put her in the doghouse over the Kettleman situation all the way back to season one. And the Kettleman yeah. situation. Remember the Kettlemans? Oh, I remember. I remember Mrs. Kettleman specifically. Um, hey. But, uh, but it is not a situation that, uh, that she has entered into just quickly. She, she worked her ass off to get that client, and it was meaningful to her to get that client because she was in a bad spot because of the Kettlemans, even though it wasn't her fault. Jimmy helped get the Kettlemans back. Howard still was treating Kim in a, a negative way because of what happened with the Kettlemans, even after she got him back. And even after she got Mesa Verde, that ultimately, I think, led to the breach between her and HHM. And she comes to Schweikert and Coakley eventually. She does all this stuff with her. Everything that happened between uh, Jimmy and Chuck that leads to Chuck's ultimate untimely demise is as a result of Kim and Mesa Verde. It's because yeah. Chuck tries to take it away from her. He does his thing. It upsets Jimmy so much. Jimmy goes off. Chuck records that. Jimmy admits in that conversation to Chuck, like, I did it for Kim. She deserved that client. Uh, it is all of that. So they take down Chuck together. Kim, feel, there's all of this history wrapped up, not just in Jimmy and Kim, but in Mesa Verde. And so when Mr. Acker reads her after she is so uh, vulnerable to him, saying like we moved around from place to place we did all these things and he says you know uh, you'll say anything to get what you want and i think you're one of those people who just tries to do a little good to make to make amends with themselves for what they feel is their their you know they need to do in their life make themselves feel better and w- that is the action that causes her to bring jimmy into the mix to begin with let us not forget even though it is jimmy's ultimate betrayal in this episode and he is so oppositional to her in the meeting she called Saul she called Saul and the episode is called Wexler v Goodman not Goodman V. V. Wexler. It is not Saul's. uh, Saul's not the plaintiff here. Uh, Kim is the plaintiff. She's the one who set this thing in motion. Uh, Jimmy's the defendant. Uh, Even though we we had a really good conversation last week, I thought, about whether or not he he was really trying to encourage her to pull the plug. We got the the backside of that conversation here. She pushed it last week, and and he said, there's another way. We go after Kevin Wachtel. This week, uh, she goes to the nail salon, and she says to him, I don't want to do this. And yet Jimmy's the one who, who really kind of pushes it. Uh, and, and so no kind of, yeah, well, right. Well, in I that mean, moment, like, he says he's going to back out, but then he, he of course flips the script. She pulls the yeah. plug and then he does, you know, the, the, the total a hole thing that he does to Howard. Uh, <laughs> we'll and talk like, about he that. gets like, you know, he gets his juices going in the, in, you know, the, the, he gets his mischievous kicks on, uh, and he wants to, he wants more and it's what pushes him to do what he does in the meeting uh, and what's supposed to be the end of it all. Uh, And instead it's just like a quadrupling down probably more than that. Uh, It's, it's disastrous. It's calamitous and it's born uh, all from Jimmy. So there's no kind of about it. Like to me, his actions in this episode, I don't know for you really uh, cemented for me that like he, he was playing her last week too. Yeah. I really do think he wanted so. to play. Really he do. likes to play more than he likes the result, and or at least as much. Uh, he likes to do what he did. He likes to put on the show that he put on. He likes to get people's goats. I did goats. it for yep. me. I yep. did it because I was good at it, and I did it because I liked exactly. it. Exactly. 
And so there, there's no doubt that that's what he wanted this whole time. I do think it's interesting in terms of her culpability, though. She knew who she was calling. She knows who she lays down in bed with. And even though he can take her by surprise when he says, Saul good, man, at the end of last season, she knows who he is at this point. And she even reads him at the end of the episode and says, you can't even look me in the eye and tell me that because I know and you know it's not true. Uh, she knows who Jimmy McGill is. So by getting him involved in running this play, uh, and it was her play as much as his play. She she pushed it too. Uh, I, I think her culpability is certainly more questionable. I'll say uh, we got a lot of feedback uh, about Jimmy and Howard uh, and Jimmy's treatment of Howard. No feedback about Jimmy's treatment of Kim. None. Uh, yeah. And that's telling because Howard is more innocent in this whole affair uh, than Kim is. Kim's hands are dirty, even if she's wanted to walk away or even if she's uh, taken half measures here. Um, she is certainly culpable because she involved Jimmy McGill. And I think she knows that. But like I said, it is this whole codependent relationship. It is this relationship that is so based on just negative energy and whether it's a sunk cost or whether it's the fear of leaving home and the need for uh, whatever kind of stability and chaos that Jimmy McGill provides uh, that is similar to the stability and chaos that she might have lived with growing up. Um, it is from a place that that is negative, but it is a place that she is in. Howard is not inviting this in any way. He tried to do a good thing, uh, but it didn't work out for him, as we'll talk about. But as far as Jimmy and Kim go, uh, she was definitely surprised in that meeting. Uh, the anger was real. Jimmy talks about how that had to be the play to protect her. I'm wondering, do you think there will be fallout from this? Is Rich Schweikert going to say, look, I, I, sh- I told you this is why you can't be on this account. Uh, what, what level of fallout is there going to be from what happened in that meeting in terms of I Kim's mean, professional wait- life? Yeah, I'm waiting for it to be destroyed. I think that you you threw out a really good call that like the... Uh, you know, I'm I'm less concerned about like Kim Wexler's actual life. Like I'm less concerned about Kim Wexler dying. I don't think that that's the fate that awaits Kim Wexler. Uh, but you, I think, really crystallized what the great realistic fear for her is. It's that she loses the law. You know, she dies the death of a lawyer. Uh, that she, you know, she's not able to practice anymore. That her license is, you know. Do you get it revoked? Do you get it destroyed? What is the what is what happens? Like you know, she's not going to be able to practice anymore. I think that that's coming. I I think that this is not helping, and I think that like if they look, Rich Schweikert's a not that bad of a guy, <laughs> uh, and b a smart guy, and he 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 caught her. He didn't even have to like be on a toilet reading the the Walt Whitman passage. You know, like he caught her. He knew. He knows. And I think he doesn't have to pedal that far backward. And frankly, once she's hip to it, I don't think Paige is going to have to, you know, look that far backwards either to start putting some of this stuff together. And once that starts getting together and if there can be like real tangible, evident details that they can cobble together, uh, we know how much Jimmy loves cobblers. Uh, I think that we could... we could be in for a real cobbler of disaster for for Kim's professional life, and then that has serious ramifications for her personal life as well. Um, I expect this to blow up completely by the end of the season. It, it definitely seems like it will happen by the end of the season, and I'm I'm pretty sure of that, or at least I'm sure that. I think the blowback will be to her and not to him as much because, of course, we know what happens with Saul Goodman, and there are some personality blowbacks. Of course, he becomes a worse person 
in Breaking Bad. But professionally, he's still a lawyer, so it doesn't happen in that way. But what we don't know— But the thing that's interesting is we don't know what he's like when he's outside of the Correct. office. We, we don't know what he's like when he's not— you know, deeply tied up to Heisenberg, uh, to that operation. So what is he doing? Thai food for one, you know, like, you know, scoop, you know, scoop, no sprinkles. Like what does his life look like, uh, when this is going on? And I think that this is something worth talking about here is, uh, is he going and getting Thai for one? Is he having those internal debates, uh, Thai food or, or sushi tonight? Um, is he, or is he just getting to choose for himself? Or are Jimmy and Kim about to get married and Kim is around for all of Breaking Bad? Like, where are we going with all of this? I, be- I believe in Breaking Bad, it comes out that Jimmy, that Jimmy as Saul says he has multiple ex-wives. Right. Uh, at this point in Better Call Saul, he has already indicated he was married once, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember that, um, but um, yeah. I, believe, I believe that's the case. I, I couldn't tell you specifically where, but that is, that is strong in my memory. Someone, someone can chime in and, and let us know if we're on or we're off. Um, but if, it, if we're taking him at his word in Breaking Bad, it's multiple exes, uh, so it would indicate that he and Kim will likely get married and the marriage likely will not last or the other possibility. And this one might really shock you. Is that Saul Goodman's a freaking liar. And you know, whatever he's talking about, about his personal life in the breaking bad timeline is just hooey, you know, yeah. not Huel, uh, but just like a load of, of, of crap. Uh, and Kim could be around for all of this. We just don't know. Oh, you know what? I was just, uh, you, you say we just don't know. And she could be around for all this. I was looking up Jimmy McGill's marital status. His uh, first wife was someone who existed in the show. That is who he performed the Chicago sunroof on was this guy who, <laughs> okay. who was the one who ended the relationship with he and his first right, wife, this right, guy right, named right. Chet, this low life. Uh, so that's who got Chicago sunroof. There just happened to be kids in the car. Uh, yeah, right. you're right. She could be in the breaking bad timeline. He mentions two ex wives. Uh, so, she could be that could be a thing that they're that they're finally baking into this uh but there's but the way that they button all that stuff up is like they do it so thoroughly that they're probably like well we promised on breaking right. bad that he has multiple ex-wives so we gotta marry jimmy and kim and then we gotta unmarry jimmy and kim. yeah and that's the part that i'm a little less i hope that's not why if we get there i don't feel like the show has forced that sometimes it feels like that sometimes it, it does. does sometimes feel well like here's that. what i'll say when you go back and rewatch better call saul one of my big takeaways each time i've rewatched and i've rewatched it a couple times now is you watch season one and jimmy and kim are are friendly. Uh, they clearly have had a relationship uh, in terms of knowing each other. There's some maybe spark there. There's definitely a like, what, what's their deal? But it is not super strong. It is certainly not the center of the show. At the very beginning of season two, they hard reset it. And Jimmy straight up asked Kim, you and me, is this ever going to happen? Is it going to be impacted by my decision whether I take this job offer from Davis and Maine or not? It is in the first episode of season two that they place that relationship front and center in the show. And then that becomes a huge thing for both characters throughout, obviously. And so I don't know at what point they decided to make that the thing. It is definitely clearly the thing now such that at this point, I know I've talked about it in this podcast a lot. I'm positive, positive. You can, you can mark this in blood on the wall, positive that Kim, that, that Kim will show up in the gene storyline. I'm, I'm positive yeah. that this is going to happen. Uh, that is the only, I think. Yeah. She, we see her in red cloud uh, at the start of this episode yep. when she was a kid. Uh, that is uh, according to, Zhuzhul Maps, I believe is how you pronounce Zhuzh? it. Uh, Zhuzh Maps. 
Uh, the Google map says it's a three hour and four minute drive from Omaha, Nebraska, where uh, a certain uh, Gene the Cinnabon maker. So you can lives. see you can foresee a world where uh, in a world where Jimmy McGill calls where Gene calls somebody. Uh, he calls Robert Forster. Robert Forster is offering Jimmy or Gene the, the removal service at the beginning of this season. And Gene says, you know what? I've decided I'm going to handle it myself. You can foresee the world, as we've talked about already in this podcast, where the next call he makes is to Kim. And he says, you know what? We really screwed up. We hate each other, but I need your help. I'm desperate. And then you can also foresee a world where she has to finally decide whether she's going to help Jimmy McGill or sell him out and turn him in. Uh, and I think that is at least a question that we could have in the air uh, in if she is in the Gene timeline that I think oh, it, it's interesting, right? Because it will play on their yeah. entire past. It will play on everything that we haven't yet seen from whatever is to come between the two of them. And if however it goes south, if she loses her law license because of his actions, for example, uh, does she blame him for that? If she ends up back in Red Cloud because of him, uh, does she become a substance abuser? Does she lean into the drinking a little more? I don't really know. I don't know where that is going in that regard. Alcoholism is genetic. So, and it is a disease. It's a genetic disease. So this could easily be something uh, that that we see from Kim if things go really poorly. Um, we probably need some more uh, something stupid style time jumps uh, where, where periods of months pass in their relationship. We, we're going to need that no matter yep. what at some yep. point. Yeah, so so. I, I do think we could be headed. I, I, th- I definitely think we're and headed And I think there. that that legal collapse, we, we could have a, a something stupid time jump. I think we could, we could, you know, they could get married. We could push forward, you know, a year or two years years down the road and things can become undone for Kim. Like I think they can yada yada us to a point that is still like emotionally momentum wise connected to the current momentum of the show. Well, Um, there's another outcome obviously. And even though I said you can write it in blood on the wall, the other outcome also involves blood on the wall and that's Jimmy's interaction with the Salamancas specifically. We see in this episode, Mike throughout uh, is on this plan with Gus in involving Nacho learning what Lalo is up to and that Lalo has to be stopped. Mike essentially goes undercover as a private detective who will plant he will plant evidence uh, and get Lalo in the crosshairs of the police for everything that happened at the Western Union. Well, it's not Western Union, but it's whatever they call Western Union. Uh, right. Last season, uh, in the episode where Werner meets his untimely demise, uh, Lalo and when he jumped through the Lalo roof. jumps through the roof. <laughs> yeah, it's ter- it's terrible, Crazy. ridiculous, and amazing at the same yeah. time. Um, all yeah. of that happens. And Lalo, it's referenced this season, I think, uh, when Juan Bolsa shows up and says, "Hey, we don't we don't do things like that. We don't do on that this side here. of the border. Like, you know, <laughs> right, this right. is gonna this is gonna come back and, and haunt you." And sure enough, if you go back and watch that episode, you can see there's a witness who comes up to the window when Lalo is in the back looking at the security footage. You can see a witness kind of knocking at the locked door, and she says it's through two panes of glass. And sure enough, that's the witness who Mike talks to. This ends right. with Lalo ultimately being uh, stopped in, in, I guess, taken into custody by the police, even though multiple police he was ready to go out shooting if it had just been the one. So yeah. he's going to get arrested. You have to, he's going to get arrested with a gun in his car. You have to, exactly. You have to assume Jimmy McGill is going to represent him, right? Oh, God, my brain hadn't even gone. Well, he already, yet, he already yeah, worked for course. him as a lawyer, yeah. right? Like he already yeah. did the thing yeah. for him with regard to Domingo. Yeah. Yeah. And we also know from Breaking Bad, he is in deeper yep. with Lalo and Ignacio. Yeah, he mentions them when um, he's taken out to the desert with Walter and Jesse. So my guess is it's, it's possible Jimmy will represent Lalo. But if he represents Lalo for Lalo, his representation's going to be different than if he represents Lalo for Mike. 
And I think that's the concern I have. He represents Lalo for Gus Fring, and he screws it up in some way, on purpose, mind you. He gets Lalo in a position where Lalo is screwed by his attorney. That puts Jimmy a little more in the Salamanca crosshairs. We know they threaten family. How realistic a possibility is this for you if we're headed to a position where Jimmy represents Lalo, but for Mike and Gus and not for Lalo, how how realistic of a position is it where Jimmy could end up in the crosshairs and then Kim could end up in the crosshairs? I think that that would be such a terrible way to treat the Kim Wexler character. I think that I there's agree. been such delicacy to the to the character development um, that I think that that would be a, a, a real schmucky, to, to use a word that they like to use in the writer's room, I think a real schmucky way to write out Kim Wexler. I, I severely hope that that does not play but, out. Um, I, th- I think that uh, the tension of that of Kim being um, endangered to some degree uh, that like, certainly like with, with Nacho and his father being like threatened constantly. Can the threat loom there? Sure. I guess to some degree, but I just think it's going to be well, sh- a really, a really unsatisfying way to write out Kim yeah. if they choose to go. I, that I think way. it's the schmuck bait way, right? Like they'll, they'll bait yes. us into thinking that it's possible and that Jimmy's representing Lalo. Kim's not in breaking bad. It's the schmuck bait because they're, they're only baiting the people that aren't looking deeper into the fact that it would be a really shitty way to write out the Kim Wexler character. And that's not this show, as you just observed, like the, the way they've treated Kim is much more delicately. She's as much a main character as just about anybody else in the show to treat her like that at that point would really not yeah. be fair. You mentioned um, Papa. You mentioned Papa, uh, everybody's yes. favorite Papa, as somebody that Nacho brings up and says, they have a gun to my father's head. Um, Mike says to Nacho, like, we'll talk about it. Is there a possibility that Mike pulls the trigger on Good Papa guy, at Mike. some point? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, yes. Sadly, very possible. Uh, we talked last week about uh, needing more uh for mike's heel turn to uh, back to gus we really didn't get any no. huh like we kind of just got right back into into mike being fully on board with gus um i don't know if it was enough for me uh certainly very fun to watch him operate on the level that he operates in this episode you know kind of always great to see batman mike um you know batman trout is uh, is a fun character <laughs> batman trout half uh, bat half man half trout yeah, exactly. Batman trial. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> super serial. <laughs> I'm super serial, guys. Uh, I just don't know if I got enough of that. But like the Mike, I mean, I, I still even think the Mike of Breaking Bad, he's not just going to kill Nacho's dad. I, I don't think that guy. So I'll, I'll dial it back. I don't think that the Mike who dies in Breaking Bad, uh, you know, by the by the stream has like papa's death on his hands like have we seen have we seen anything to that level of severity from mike across either of the shows i really don't think so like the closest to an innocent was Werner, and Werner had agency in signing on for an illicit operation yeah and even in breaking bad when people are in the game uh, he does not want them the 13 dealers or whatever he wants them paid he does not want them taken off the board uh, like they ultimately are uh, in a very Godfather one uh, kind of moment. Uh, no, no, no christening of sons going on. Uh, but is Mike able to do something, you know, like, you know, these are my guys. Is he able to is he able to turn Nacho into like one of his well, guys? Right. Like, is he able to do something that is such a solid for Nacho and Papa and get Gus Spring to be like on board with that? 
and to realize like the other way we can do this rather than just killing papa is to like turn nacho to our cause like is there a way for him to do that that doesn't involve killing dad like is that a way that like mike can eventually like feel better about being part of the gusset ring operations if he's like feeling like he's being listened to to a certain i think so uh i do think so i also think it's possible he could go behind gus's back and just help nacho and papa abscond that once he gets what he needs to out of the salamancas and once They've got them under their thumb. And once Fring is the only game in town in that regard, or the main game in town in that way, and Mike has helped him cement that, um, maybe Mike just helps Nacho and Papa abscond. And that is the end for Nacho, is that he gets away. Uh, and he gets away with the help of Mike, such that the Mike we meet in Breaking Bad who wants to help Jesse, that has a soft spot a little bit, or the Mike that won't let those guys get taken off the board, even though it is the right thing to do from a quote-unquote business standpoint uh, so that yeah. they can't flip on you. Um, maybe that's the Mike who helps Nacho abscond. Maybe that's his price that he extracts for what happened with Werner. Uh, so I've, all these things are at least possible. I don't think it's as clear as, you know, thinking that we agree that they're not going to take him off the board with violence in that way. Um, I don't think it's as clear what will happen with Mike and Nacho. I think the it's still more... Well, especially because a- Nacho seemingly is um, still a factor in uh, Better Call Saul, the episode, right? The, at least the in Jimmy's Jimmy mind, debut. right? At least in Jimmy's yeah. mind. So whatever happens with Nacho, if Mike does take him off the board, if he doesn't, if he helps him abscond, if he doesn't, if he's working for Gus, if he's not, uh, Jimmy, as far as Jimmy's concerned, he both he and Lalo are still possible revenge characters here. It doesn't necessarily mean they're still alive. It just means as right. far as Jimmy's concerned, they may still be alive. So yeah. I, I yeah. think TBD on everything uh, with, with Mike, because I think it's less you- likely. You really activated something when uh, you mentioned Jimmy representing Lalo. Like that, that feels so obvious, and it just wasn't really even on my mind. What was on my mind is um, Lalo going to jail. You know, could theoretically vault us forward. Like, could provide a way to vault us forward in the timeline uh, to you know, like deal with the because like the Lalo and Nacho problem with with Gus feels like it's got to hit a boiling point here pretty soon because Gus is only going to be able to suffer these losses for so long. And we know that Gus is, is still going to be like the guy in the game um, by the time that Breaking Bad rolls around, which is what, like four-ish years in the future from where we are in Better Call Saul. Yeah. So Lalo spending some time in jail uh, would help ease our path towards that. If we're already talking about a possible universe where like Jimmy and Kim are um you know gonna get married and we get to like live with that for a couple of years uh so that's where my head was at um and maybe there's a version of that where jimmy is also representing lalo and he gets lalo like better you know a better sentence than he would get like there's no way that lalo just gets off no and i i just the reason i think that that he will represent lalo for mike and not for lalo is we just had, even though we didn't need it, we had that little phone call where Jimmy calls Mike uh, and, with Kim, and Mike is reminded of the fact, or he is informed right. of the fact that Jimmy is a lawyer again, uh, and that right. little fact, that little that little notion, it may be enough. We could also be in a, a situation, by the way, where Mike asks uh, Mike asks Jimmy to represent Lalo, and Jimmy's like, well, you know little thing about that. I've already worked for the guy. Like I already, I've already worked for him. It's going to really blow up if, if he, if I represent him again and it doesn't go right, he's going to know because I'm already kind of under his thumb a little bit, but I know another lawyer 
Um, she's my fiance now, and she can help you out with this. So there's always right. a possibility that uh, Kim gets involved in this somehow, and that yeah, Jimmy yeah, drags yeah, yeah, Kim yeah, yeah, into yeah. this. If we're yeah. circling the drain, as I've said, uh, and even though you said it's a car crash in slow motion, I think both metaphors really work for this show. But if we are circling the drain and Jimmy and Kim just link together, uh, like you know the, the two things that are pulled into the same force, um, then I, I don't know how we can separate the two so easily if something like this were to happen. I don't think Jimmy would put Kim in the crosshairs mm. like this. Um, but yeah. I think it's at least possible, uh, and so I that's I, I don't I don't think it's likely, but I think it's it's something that I think about when I think about who's representing Lalo and for whom and how. Yep. Um, Jimmy would be a very interesting one to represent because Lalo would accept him as a lawyer. Lalo would say like, "Oh yeah, this is the lawyer. This is the guy I use. This is the guy for that's this. That's my guy. Right, that's my yeah, guy. I like, I like that the guy. guy. And he, without knowing that you know he knew Mike before he knew Lalo. So. Right, we could absolutely right, right, right. see uh, yeah. where that goes, uh, and that could be trouble. Uh, certainly not a bad episode for Mr. Acker, though, Josh. He seems to get everything he wants, even though we don't see him on screen. Yeah, what's the deal? What's the deal? What does he wind up with? He wa- he's going to get a... Uh- is he? He's going to get seventy thousand something 45, like that, right? Forty-five thousand at least. Um, I can't remember it. The the spit handshake between Kevin and Jimmy. He's got some money. He's keeping his house. The call center's going to the other site. He's getting a public apology. Big win for Mister Acker. Big big win. Big win for Mr. Acker, but that's not why Jimmy does it. No. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy wants the PR, right? Like he gets the big win for Acker, but he he brings the photographer into it too. Uh, we're gonna get credit for the photographer as well. We're gonna we're gonna do that without settling. Like you're gonna give the photographer, you know, some some cash for the photo, uh, and you're gonna you're gonna credit that person. And this is all because like. Jimmy loves to screw the man, and yep. now it's also with the with the side benefit of Jimmy's getting you know further you know forward momentum out of it. Um, like this is to to tie this together, just to like start getting into this side of the conversation too. Like uh, the the screwing the man piece is why he <laughs> is on. why I'm he does what he Google, does with Howard I'm Hamlin. Google screwing the man piece, you know, you know, this is why he he sends the the ladies of the night. To go talk to Howie, uh, which is such an unbelievably terrible scene in a great way. Yeah. Uh, but there's just like there's a, a guy like Howard Hamlin, who is like an alien, you yeah. know, who is who is like such an alien on his best day. Uh, it's just like but like very deeply human internally, but like is so uncomfortable in like the day to day life, I think. Like he's he's very like palpably like uncomfortable in his skin and his existence. Um, there's just like no way for him to like artfully, deftly maneuver his way out of this incredibly these incredibly bad optics of going to like his favorite restaurant with the Dover Soul lunch special uh, and having these two ladies accost him and call him Howie and no details about him because they've been brief. Yeah, who's mad? Real mad, yeah. and uh, and it's and Jimmy's only doing it because he just wants to like further dunk on Howard Hamlin yeah. because he, he's the man and he wants to screw the man. Exact right uh, feedback from Alexander Chester. Uh, Chester said, "I know we're supposed to root for Jimmy, or are we? And Howard is mostly a comical character for us to dunk on. But I need to take offense to how Jimmy treats Howard. I know you guys have discussed this on the pod, but Howard's not a fundamentally bad person. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, but for the most part, he seems well-intentioned. And Jimmy humiliates him and abuses him unfairly." 
Obviously, Jimmy is the bad guy with how he treats Kim, but in a sense, I feel even worse for Howard because we're supposed to laugh at him. Uh, and I, I feel the same way. Uh, I texted you as soon as the episode ended, and, and I said, yeah, I watched the episode, and I, you know, everything with Kim, sure, she, in the way that Mike says to Nacho, you got in this with both eyes open. Uh, Kim knew what she was getting into with Jimmy McGill, and she continues to know. But Howard was just trying to be nice to the guy, and he felt bad yeah. for how he had treated him, and he was trying to make amends. He does not deserve this Howie treatment. Howie does not deserve this. Justice for Justice Howie. Justice for Howie. From one Howard to another, I am uh, scandalized by all of it's this. It's funny because, like I said, we didn't just get feedback uh, from from Chester. Brendan Fitzpatrick wrote on and said, uh, he said, seriously, Jimmy? And I saw, you know, in, like when I was opening it on my phone, I see the first line or whatever. And I see, why is Jimmy trying so hard? And then the email says, to get Howard to hate him or push Howard over the edge. <laughs> yeah. It feels so unearned. I know we're supposed to start <laughs> hating Jimmy and his turning into Saul, but this is just so mean and sad. It's just really icky but it's sadly it's not unearned right like jimmy's had a good hate in on howard for a very since the first episode you know so like this is like deeply earned calls him a pig fucker you know in term in terms of jimmy's character uh it's earned um does howard deserve it is a separate question it's a fair question Uh, i i I would say no. <laughs> I would say I would say no. no. I would say much like Rich Schweiker, I think that Howard Hamlin is a better guy than maybe you would expect him to be. Um, and as to the question that we had been batting around recently of like how much does Howie suspect that uh, that Jimmy is uh, you know the the bowling ball baron. Um, probably suspects it a lot more now. I think at a certain point he's got to suspect like this. If it if it if it you know quacks like a jimmy mcgill if it flies like a jimmy mcgill it's probably a jimmy mcgill and this one's a jimmy mcgill Definitely. This is a, he, he's getting goodman he's uh you know like fool me once shame on uh you fool me twice right. shame on me he you, you can't fool me fool, again can't fool or can't be fooled again there's a saying in texas yeah. i don't know if they have it in tennessee but they have it in texas um yeah i i that he's in a position where he should know by now what's going on here and it probably should come as no surprise to him he's sitting there with cliff Maine. Uh, a person who understands what it's like to work. Nice with, to see uh, Mr. Bagley. Yes, Zed Bags, the bagel, the bagel man, man back yeah, in the, bagel. Back in the building. Uh, yeah, that is who it is, and and he knows. Uh, even though, uh, in in you know in a in a, in a sort of a, a nod to what this is going to be like for Howie now, um, they're making the jokes behind the judge's back from two tables over about his twenty-one-year-old uh, assistant and uh, his briefs and his hole-in-one and all of that. Uh, imagine the kind of talk that will be going on now about poor Howie. Uh, ladies, I don't. Not good. I, I don't. What does he say? Uh, I don't know a Joe dog. I don't know a tugboat. <laughs> yeah, I believe yeah. it. I believe it. I, I believe that like Howard Hamlin never leaves his home unless it's for work or Dover Soul. Yeah. Like I believe that there are no the other course. reasons that Howard. And yeah, but that's work. Right. Well, the good point. Uh, that's a good point. He doesn't have fun. You know, it's like, work. I think he would go for Dover Soul even if it wasn't for a lunch, you know, meeting. Yeah. Uh, I think he just loves the Dover Soul. But I think like that's the only extracurricular he has. Why does, <laughs> I don't why expect. Do, what, I don't expect he has any other extracurricular that isn't born from. Why work. do I feel like so, the Dover Soul is like a white Motown cover band from Delaware? because <laughs> it probably <laughs> is a dover soul you don't want to know what that is in jimmy mcgill exactly world don't look either. that up on urban dictionary it's something yeah it's something bad uh so like the i, I get soul. the sense that like uh that you know that howard doesn't have like relationships outside of work so this whole thing is probably just like such a massive disaster yeah is him. he a sexual what being you? howard hamlin 
It doesn't strike me as yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, we've got the hose in the picture, but I don't. Are we, it doesn't seem like he has any romantic interest in any way. We don't sense that at all about him. He seems so, like you're it's saying. not part of his life yeah. as far as he's been painted to right. us. He's a career um, man. So, like, I feel bad. Like, he's kind of, well, I, I think we've talked about this to a degree that, like, there is this feeling that I have anyway about Howard Hamlin that he's, like, a man-child. Uh, like, he is, you know, speaking of, like, you don't shake the things from your childhood necessarily unless you really work through them as you're, as you're in the process of growing up. You know, just because you grow literally into being, you know, a legal adult who is in your 40s or 50s or however old Howard Hamlin is at this point. Uh, 37. Um, doesn't meet... You know, um, 33 uh, doesn't mean that like your bullshit from when you were eight isn't still like a humongous part of your life. Uh, and the fact that like he has his job virtually, you know, by his own admission, like through nepotism, right? Like that, like he got it because his dad was the first Hamlet uh, and he got, you know, you know, he kissed the ring and now he's part of the part of the deal. But he's not like a great lawyer. Uh, and he's like a decent businessman, but that's because like all of his life has probably been dedicated to feeling worthy of this great thing that he inherited. Right. So like there are ways in which Howard Hamlin feels very childish, like not that he necessarily like behaves childly, childishly or immaturely like to to Jimmy. But like there are times where like I feel bad for him where he's like. You know, when he's like wrestling with the anxiety and the guilt that he feels over what happened to Chuck, like I think that there's like a real young quality to like the pain he's in in that moment, uh, like a real um, like a really like like a, a kid who was wronged yeah. and wasn't like hugged enough and wasn't like told like, go, you're going to grow up to be a strong person. You're going to grow up to like be in the world and this is how you're going to do it. Like somebody who wasn't parented is what Howard Hamlin uh, reminds me of. I mean, he's a very sad character. I I have a a very soft spot in my heart for Howard Hamlin. Um, And so when, when you see him in a moment like this, it's not even just like that. He's like not a sexual being. It's that like, sometimes he just like feels like a kid feels like he like is Tom Hanks from big. And he's been like trying to like keep that secret for a long time. I hope nobody finds out that I'm secretly Ted. Uh, So, uh, like, sometimes he has that quality about him. He's got to be, uh, I mean, you know what? I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but the, uh, I was going to make a dick joke, but this is, uh, the thing is when you grow up, when you're a little boy and you grow up and you are the second Hamlin in Hamlin, Hamlin McGill, your, your fiefdom, uh, your, everything the light touches is yours is, is that's your birthright. It's put in front of you from the jump. You have no choice but to be the second Hamlin. And Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill, and we know this is something that Howard carries along with him. He has said it to Kim. Uh, in many ways, I admire you. I wish I could do that, but uh, such is life. Like he basically right. says, like I was born, and this was my lot in life, and this is what I had to do. I had to be the yep. second Hamlin. That was me. This is my thing. So in that world, his professional reputation is everything. That is all he has. That is what he trades on his identity. As I think you hilariously put it, is you know just work and eat the Dover soul. That's it. That's it. Yeah, That's because. It. It's you know it's really That's horrible because it. like it's it's a it's you know you call the you call this type of thing it's a hit job it's character assassination but like even the way that it's framed in this where you know Howard is just trying to enjoy his Dover soul when the two ladies show up and start like wrecking his life very publicly attacking this thing that you're talking about being like the beating heart of Howard Hamlin is his reputation his professional reputation and there's Jimmy in the car. Yeah watching yeah, through binoculars like, creep. like watching through the sniper you just happen to have like them. it's a hit yeah. 
headshot. Absolutely. You know, like he's just, he's killing Howard yep. Hamlin right now. It's disgusting. Yep. It, it, and it, one of the reasons why it's disgusting and one of the reasons why um, this show is so affecting um, is because it's simultaneously really funny. You know, like it's simultaneously like well, presented in a way where you can't help but like laugh. They have him at the say Joe Dog and Tugboat. That's not you know, never like, not going to be help funny. But l- like you can't help but laugh at the scene. But then like you do take this step back and like he just got like you know this like brain matter on the table. Yeah. Like that's like he just like shot him yeah. from a you distance. Got some art stuff. You know exactly. You got some Howie on yeah. you, so uh, that's it's it's the secret sauce of the show, and it's you know uh, I I I really really love Better Call Saul, and I often do think that it is um, uh, you know the the sum is is better than the than the parts. Like I, I think that like the the grander fabric of of Better Call Saul is often better than the individual components. But this is an example of. Um, individual components really working in in harmony together within an episode um, that that we talked about even the other week um, that scene with with Kim and Jimmy making fun of Kevin uh, and like doing impressions and how that scene is both really really funny but also really really dark. This is another really great example of that um, and a big piece of this magic trick of why Better Call Saul is as successful as it is is it's. These writers are just able, and and not just the writers, but the filmmakers, the actors, um, the editors, like everybody who's involved in how this show gets crafted are really weaving together a tone that is so hard to ace. And somehow they're able to do it. Somehow they're able to come up with a scene that is both uh, hilarious but gutting at the same time. It's just, it's really, it's really impressive. impressive Breaking Bad walked that that high wire as well. Exactly. Sometimes in the same episode, you'd have the most horrible things you could think of or the most undue stress and just hilarious moments like, yeah, bitch, like, or magnets or robots or whatever it was. Like, they had those moments uh, of comic relief. And sometimes those moments were both of those things at once. Yeah, and that's the brilliance. I think you're right in this particular scene with Howard. and. I, there are people that probably don't read it in the same sort of violation way that are just like, oh, it's great. I love it when Jimmy's getting Howard's goat. That guy's a dick. He has such a punchable face, whatever. Uh, and I think there are people that could probably watch it and feel that way. But I think it's very telling that we got the feedback we got uh, about this episode with regard to Howard. Uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick actually said uh, Fitzy wants to see Howard hit back in some way before the end of the season. That would be great. I would love that. That'd be I great. want to say not for great. nothing in, in terms of, uh, I think it, it speaks to your point about how routine Howard's life is, but not for nothing. Uh, both of these instances, the bowling balls and the, the hose mad prank, um, both of them come from just nothing. Jimmy is just in a moment decides, you know what? Let's go fuck with Howard today. Uh, right. When in, he goes to Tucumcari, he talks to Mr. Acker for the first time. He gets Mr. Acker to agree. Uh, and then as he's getting back in his car, he sort of ponders for a second. And that's when he goes and buys the bowling balls. He doesn't even know he wants the bowling balls. He thinks, I'm just going to throw something over the fence at Howard's house and break his car. That's what he's thinking. He has no plan. He checks his watch to see if he has enough time to do it, and he does it. And in this particular instance, we see him leaving court with the uh, aforementioned hose. Uh, they get out into the hallway. They're offering to take care of him. He says, no, hey, don't go right back to work. And then all of a sudden, inspiration strikes, and he has to run down the hall. So he is putting very little thought 
into the um, the implications of all this or whether it's right to do it or not. It's just, you know what? I feel like screwing with Howard. I'm going to go do it. And that's, I think, the worst part for me is this mm. is not like uh, the contemplated act of somebody who's really weighing what uh, karmic weight Howard Hamlin has deserved uh, to fall down upon his head for all the years that he did the bidding of Chuck and kept Jimmy under his thumb. Uh, he is just thinking on a whim. Today, today's the day I'm going to go screw with Howard. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to have these hoes show up, and I'm going to watch, and I'm going to laugh with the kill shot as it's being delivered. So not for nothing. Uh, I think that speaks to how, how, how not serious Jimmy treats this whole thing. It's just a caper for him, and it's not even a caper that he has to spend a, t- a lot of time with. They do spend a lot of time. You mentioned the sum of the parts. We have another montage in this episode, which is nothing but not a sum of parts, uh, these montages. A very funny one, uh, and I think we're getting to see Bob Bob Odenkirk in his most Mr. Show form here as a director of these commercials, and really probably seeing a lot of improv, I would guess, um, with Bob Odenkirk and these community theater actors. Did you enjoy this montage, or were there any particular parts of it uh, that really stood out to you? Yeah, well, I, I I love the Mr. Show quality of it. I love like the you know the Tim and Eric of it all. Uh, that's something that's a holdover from Breaking Bad as well. I think once they brought Bob Odenkirk into the into the the menagerie of characters yeah. uh, back then, the lo-fi um, goodness of it all. But it's it's another great example of how this universe does such a great job of like both like cracking you up, but then like you're you're like simultaneously you're like this is hysterical. This is ridiculous. The things that they are saying, ridiculous. The presentation style of Jimmy just over and over and over again, going through the green curtains uh, and just like breaking through, like you say, the lo-fi quality. Um, but then like you take a minute and the, and the episode will often do it for you. And in this case, it did where like it'll be cutting back to Kim uh, and it's the power of Rhea Seahorn uh, just being uh, such a tremendous talent that it's all over her face, the horror, the horror of what's happening, that this isn't funny. There's nothing funny about this. Uh, but like, there is also something funny about it to some degree. Uh, and that is the, that's the contrast. It's a, it's, it's constant contrast. Do you, uh, uh but I love this montage. That was are, great. And I, and I, I, I liked watching like, um, the, you know, the, the setup of it, like the montage of like all the, 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 you know, the bits of it that when, when you don't know what it's going to be yet, Sometimes that's not always very effective on this show for me. Um, in this case, it was where like you see all the actors like filming their stuff out of context, um, and then you get to see what it was they were making. Um, often, like a, a, an example of that of one that doesn't work so well for me is the bowling ball. Is having that cold open bull in a china shop, and he's just like touching all this different stuff, and it's clearly to figure out what's going to cause the most harm to Howard Hamlin's car. Uh, and it ends up being uh, you know fodder for the bowling ball scene later on. Um, that doesn't really pay off so well. So like whatever it is you're setting up there better land with the authority of a bowling ball against a car. And I, I thought that uh, maybe ironically that example didn't work out, but here it did here. It really, really did uh, getting to see like the Mr. Show sequence was, was very, very well. Funny. And not just seeing the Mr. Show sequence, but seeing an actual actor uh, who is so heavily involved in the DNA of Mr. Show uh, in Jay Johnston, uh, somebody who is in some of uh, the very best Mr. Show sketches. Uh, if you've not watched Mr. Show, I think it's on HBO right now. Maybe um, it has been. In- well, that's where it, where it aired originally. Yeah. And then I know there's uh, the, with Bob the and David revival Netflix well. revival, yep. right? You can see a lot yep. of the sketches on YouTube, uh, but you have probably seen uh, or heard uh, Jay Johnston in other Mouthful places. Mouthful of sores. The song uh, that they sang on Mr. Show once upon a time was a, a regular part of my childhood uh, as a song that would pop into my head. 
Uh, I, uh, there's some, I, I definitely have, uh, my favorite sketches as well. Um, but the, well, I believe one of the lyrics was losing a child really hurts. It's like a mouthful of sores and that's no fun. Oh, uh, the voice of an angel. And I would just like play on a loop in my head for a very long time. <laughs> I don't think that that's exactly right, but that's how it always played in my head. The, uh, Maybe you've been earwormed as well. Well, Jay Johnston uh, is also known to some uh, as a cop on Arrested Development. Uh, Johnny DeSilvera wrote in and said, did he sound like Tom Bodette from Motel 6? Andrew Yu wrote in and said, uh, did we see him as a cop on Arrested Development? You might know him as the voice of Jimmy Pesto on Bob's Burgers. Uh, Jimmy Pesto is across the street there at all times. Uh, uh, so uh, Jay Johnson, really fun to see him. I think hard not to laugh at the original Mesa Verde commercial, but really hard not to laugh, as you said, uh, even though it is that secret sauce uh, where it's the laugh and pain at the same time. Really hard not to laugh at his repeated, yup, uh, as it's edited into the commercial. I also really just like seeing, um, in this particular instance, you saying you're not sure how it would come together. We don't just get the community theater actors shooting their scenes and not being sure how that will come together. We have the first scene. Uh, with the film crew who they just love uh, leaning into the student film crew and using them as much as they can in the show. Um, we have makeup guy, cam- makeup girl, camera guy, uh, and the sound guy, I think. And the uh, camera guy, Schleppberg, uh, now he has his, he has his other nickname. Uh, and I love his, like, you wanted when? Uh, his just like very uh, Hollywood or very directorial attitude that he has. The camera is an extension of his body, Jimmy remarks to Kim at one point. I really like the attitude these gears my favorite one is the makeup girl though uh she has the most humanity about her and i really like her performance the uh the like the one who's like the real actress yeah. of the of the although bunch. she went well she was great earlier in the season where she was like the reporter yes, with the with the blowout with the updo <laughs> yeah. that was great yeah, and, uh, that was great. That was i just great. she she also you know you remember her like when they had the horrible moment with the sklar brothers where they were refusing to pay uh, and jimmy was clearly at the his lowest ebb trying to sell his commercial time uh before it aired or eat the money um they had such paltry daily sum for whatever money they'd made and she tried to give hers to Jimmy. Uh, she just there's a lot of humanity in her I think and I think there there's more nuance in, in her performance than the other two. So I always like to see uh, what she's getting into and she here was playing uh, the bank victim who had been around black mold I think and was itching up and down. Uh, so I, I just I, I did not know when they were originally saying that they needed a certain style of the original commercial and a certain look I thought they were going to the point where like they were going to do some ads from the past because of course we have this intellectual property uh, through line uh, with the photograph and the photographer. I thought we were doing that. And I was like, there's no way they could pass off some old commercial and pretend that it's old. Like they cannot pull this off. Uh, but no, it was yeah. just that they wanted to do exactly what we ultimately saw them do, which was really good. Yeah. Really fun. Oh man. It's a good episode. It is a yeah. good episode. And uh, you know, you had said recently that our, you know, best Rhea Seahorn scenes were probably still ahead of us. Um, and I think that like, we got some of that stuff probably yeah. here, but I think that the statement still yep. holds. Um, it's brutal to watch what's happening with Kim right now. Um, and she's such, she's, she's, she's a very human character. She's one of the, she's one of the most, I mean, she's such a human, you know, where she's somebody who you just want, you want her to make better choices than she makes. You know, that she's remarkably talented, that she's, very smart that she works so hard that she wants the right things but she's like any of us and we all have a hot stove we can't stop touching you know whatever that is for you you've got it you're listening to me right now 
you know it. And now you feel really awkward because you're thinking about your hot yeah, stove. Some people are actually and touching you, a hot stove. You know, like we all have our hot stoves and like it doesn't make you a, a terrible person because you touch it. It makes you a human yep. being. You know, it's 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 your cross that you have to bear. Sadly, we all have them. Um, you know, sadly, we all have like that that button that has like in very clear, bold text emblazoned on it. Do not press. But you press it anyway. Um, and we are watching Kim push the button. And it sucks. But it's very, very, very real. And I think it's it's very telling of who you are uh, for for where you are with Kim as a character. Like, if Better Call Saul is a show that, like, really uh, uh, sits in your jimmies, uh, you know, really... It's like if it really, if it, You know, if, it re- if, it, if you really just get lodged in your McGills, you know, I think where you're standing on Kim Wexler today... Uh, is is pretty telling about how this show interacts with you. Um, I think for for me, um, I am mad at Kim. Uh, I feel very sad for her, and I fully understand where she's coming from. Like the more we talk it through, and I hate it, but I don't think that it's unearned. I think it's tragically pretty fiercely earned probably more so by the acting than the writing, um, but certainly by the writing as well. Uh, and I want so much more for Jimmy. I want him to be so much better than he's being right now, but he's being such a turd. You know, he's like king turd right now, and we know that that's not going to stop anytime soon, and it's heartbreaking. Um, and so this show could be both like, very very funny and very very heartbreaking at the same time and when it's when it's on that tight wire uh and you're not sure that it's going to be able to handle you know walking from one end to the other uh is is when the show is at its best uh and i think where we are mid-season a little bit past mid-season now on season five um for this show that much like breaking bad uh you know breaking bad was a show that really improved as it went along I think that better call Saul you say the same thing or at least I feel that way uh and this season for the most part um with a couple of misses here and there um for the most part is continuing that same level of momentum but just also sadly that you know spells if not like literal physical doom for these characters uh certainly not great Bob <laughs> definitely not great Bob because the the portends are poor as we as you're saying um and where we end up in breaking bad uh it is a crutch or it is something that they have used to kind of backstop them in a lot of respects that they can bring these characters in uh but it is also they they're painted into some corners and it is delicate how they're how they're painting around them or painting through them that is certainly the task that they had to undertake when they decided to make it a prequel they had to say to themselves like how are we going to handle this we're in the end game now so we're starting to see where the lines are going to be more clearly drawn on this i still think we're going to get another gene scene by the end of this season i could That'd i could be, cool. be wrong That'd on be cool. it um but i do think that whenever we do get gene again we're going to have some greater inkling um, that Kim is going to be involved. And we're going to look at his Kansas City Royals lunchbox from season three in the Gene scene. We're going to say, oh, my God, it was there all along. 
because it was um, because Jimmy and Kim, uh, once they pressed the reset button on this at the beginning of season two has been the story of this show. Um, I have always thought, as I said, uh, that the best Kim Wexler moments are ahead. I'm not sure that we've not seen the best Bob Odenkirk moments vis-a-vis his scenes with uh, his brother, with Chuck. It was such a big part of his story, but the story is Jimmy and Kim. Uh, and even the story with Chuck, uh, it is at this point just informing the way the two of them relate and the things that have happened to the two of them because we left that story behind at the end of season three. So here we are now nearing the end of season five uh, and we're dealing with everything uh, that all the characters have experienced in their lives up to this point, all of their baggage, all of their hot stoves, as you're saying, uh, and what they can and can't keep touching. And for Jimmy, uh, it is the action. It is the play. It is the ability to get one over on somebody because he always wanted to get one over on his brother and his brother was constantly putting him in his place. And so he can't just help when there's somebody who feels like they know better or who is in a position of superiority. Like he told that poor girl after the scholarship meeting last season, like what we're going to do is FBH. We're going to F back harder. Like you're going to prove to them that you're worth something. Every one of these actions is a big middle finger to Chuck. So Chuck does loom large, but he looms large over a relationship with Kim and Jimmy that is incurring in the present time and may occur in the future. And it's something that just like Kim and her relationship with her mother, um, he cannot leave behind. Uh, And so it is his hot stove in that way as well. Uh, And it will be fascinating to see how all of that toxicity and all of that negative energy and all these characters in their own orbits, orbiting each other individually, uh, cascades and collides uh, to the point that we're going to see whatever happens oh. in the fallout. Uh, oh, be good. man. You know, something, something to chew on is a Cinnabon. Oh, okay, Cinnabon. <laughs> uh, some, some, but something to chew on is a Cinnabon. And uh, I, would like to, I would like for you to eat the Cinnabon in the following way. I would like for you to consider... The possible Better Call Saul future where we've got episodes 7, 8, 9, and 10 of season 5 still here, right? Right. In those four episodes, can we resolve enough action that we can vault into a full final season of the Gene Machine uh, for the final season of Saul? Are we at a place right now with like where Lalo is at? where Jimmy and Kim's relationship is at, that we may be able to go and spend not just a series finale in the Gene timeline, not just like another uh, like final scene this season, not just like another cold open next season, and then a finale that's heavily devoted to Gene. You know, three more spots with Gene. Could we be in a place where we could vault that far forward? I think I'm going to give you a half a loaf answer and say... The only thing I, I then I'm just going to close half my sunroof. Yeah, well, How I'm going to give that? you a half a bun answer then. Um, what yeah. I would say is, I think where the the we have that material to mine. Do we have enough for a whole season? I don't know. What I do know is, if you wanted to say you're going to mix that with more scenes from the Breaking Bad timeline, so we're going to sort of slip in and out of time, uh, and we're going to see some scenes from, like we already did, we already jumped into the Breaking Bad timeline with Saul uh, and Francesca uh, shredding papers in a previous season, uh, and Jimmy setting up, as you, I think, your eagle eyes have observed, uh, 
Francesca to call a specific person at a specific time if Jimmy wasn't there and how that could relate to Howard Hamlin. Um, if you leave Jimmy and Howard on bad terms at the end of this season, let's say, and you wrap that story, I still think we could get uh, another scene or two from the Breaking Bad timeline uh, where they run into each other in town or uh, the axes, the hatchet is buried such that it makes sense that Jimmy would tell Francesca to call uh, HHM. So uh, I think we could, we could do Gene and we could do scenes from the Breaking Bad timeline line i don't know that we could do all gene i think there's still a lot of especially if we're going to do uh a kim and jimmy are together and then they're in a part thing i don't know that we do all that in three episodes we could we could but i think it, it makes a lot more sense if you've got the 13 next season to do what you're going to do uh with some breaking bad timeline type stuff in that in that scene in that season so i think we're go- it's more likely we'll have we'll have more of that content as well than a full season yeah. of gene Ah, but there's just, there's, there's, there's much, much chicanery ensuing here on Better Call Saul right now. Yes, Magna Carta, uh, one year, one different, one different year. Yeah, much chicanery, Chuck's uh, shadow hangs over all, uh, but we will, we will certainly be here to talk about other episodes as they occur in this season. How many do we have left? Uh, we've got four left on the board. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Do you have a, do you have a um, tease for what next episode might be called in this season? Yeah, you ready? Here, see if you can figure it out by this clue. Jim, 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 Jim is the name of the episode. That, oh, sorry, it's J M N. The initials that Kim put on the briefcase got for Jimmy. Jim, yeah, Jim. we're going to the gym next Jim. week. Going for a workout. Uh, justice matters most. Yeah. But what else could it possibly stand for in the context of an episode? Just make money, baby. Uh, Is there an IFT uh, equivalent to JMM? (sighs) Jimmy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to go there. Yeah, Yeah, Uh, I don't know. Uh, That's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, Judge. uh, There was a judge in this episode uh, who did some dirty things. I don't know what the MM could be, though. Uh, Judge making moves, Uh, uh, baby. What if... Uh, this is an idea. What if it's uh, um, just Michael Mando, and it's a a, <laughs> a bottle episode episode featuring his apartment only the whole time? Yeah, oh. yeah, it's just it's just Michael Mando. It is a solo nacho extravaganza. Solo nacho, I love it. <laughs> just the one nacho. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see. An we'll, see. Nacho? we'll see. I'm going to put my money on JMM being just, just Michael, Michael Mando. Mando. God, I, no. if that is, if you called your shot on that, <laughs> then we are retired, man. It's never getting oh, better. Yeah. Than well, that. that'll be our last episode of any podcast because we will be rolling in money uh, at that point. I thought maybe it, the M stood for mailboy, which uh, Mike was at the police station mm. harassing the mailboy. By the way, not for nothing. Make no sense to me. Like the mailboy is going to know everybody in the police station, and he's just going to just going to listen to Mike, this guy he doesn't know. I, I don't yeah. know. Just Mike could have just dropped the file in a basket and been done with that. Yeah, but that's not how uh, Batman Trout. No, rolls. Batman Trout uh, operates in a half different bat, way. Half man, half, half trout. trout. I'm super serial. I'm super serial. All, all right. right. How can people get in uh, touch with this, Josh, if they want to send feedback? Uh, all right. Well, there are ways. Certainly, uh, you can you can tweet at myself. I'm at Round Howard. Uh, like Ron, uh, like Howard Hamlin, but rounder. Um, Antonio, they can find you as well, I believe. How do they find you? What is the what is the way to do such it a thing? It just occurred to me that Howard is uh, Ho Ward, H O W A R D. <laughs> wow. Um, okay, but that doesn't tell us how oh, to no. tweet at my, you. Uh, my, uh, you can tweet at me at AC Mazzaro <laughs> with two Z's and one R. 
You can email us your feedback, bcs at postshowrecaps.com. You can subscribe to us however you get your podcasts, your ratings and reviews. Uh, greatly appreciated. And of course, uh, you can subscribe to our Saul-specific feed, but we also have a ton going on in Post Show Recaps. We just wrapped our Curb Your Enthusiasm coverage here. Uh, myself, Rob Sesternino, uh, Kiva Winokur, we just wrapped that up, so no more Curb, but that was a really fun ride. Um, Walking Dead is looking uh, towards the end of the line a little bit earlier than expected. AMC unable to finish post-production on The Walking it's Dead. It's a reality show now, though, so it's all good. I know. Uh, I'll be I'll be sad to to lose that a week earlier than than we were uh, expecting. Jess and I have been having a lot of fun uh, talking about Walking Dead, and I actually do think Walking Dead has been really really fun this season. Um, I hope that there's no post production woes for the the late stages of Better Call Saul. No this news thing's on been that in the can yet. forever. Um, they were recording. I, I certainly would hope so. They were recording the Better Call Saul Insider podcast like literally like almost like months and months and months ago when they were doing posts on, on these episodes. So if such a thing happens, Antonio and I will come onto the podcast and we will uh, enact yeah, uh, our we'll version it. of the better call Saul. We'll just, uh, we'll just, uh, we'll, we'll call Rich Filiberto and we'll role play it out. Uh, speaking of whom the great R Philly here on the internet was uh, joining Mike Bloom and myself over on the Down Down the Hatch podcast recently, we did another RPG episode of our Lost podcast where Mike and I played uh, the parts of Billy Wallace and Rodney Sesto, two background survivors from the crash of Oceanic Flight 815, and chicanery did ensue. It was weird, and we're uh, murderers in this it's fictional good stuff. world now. It's good stuff. It's, it got really, really, really weird. Uh, we did very bad things, and I'm now actively rooting for our characters' demise <laughs> at this point. Uh, our characters are bad well, you, people who do uh, not listen, deserve Listen, if you're going to role play, you got to stick with it, man. You can't just be doing yeah. that. The uh, JMM, if if we have to reenact, we'll get Mike on here. Um, you can be <laughs> you can be Jimmy. I'll be Kim, and Mike can be um, he could be Gus. <laughs> okay, sounds fun. Uh, we also have Westworld podcast. Antonio, your favorite show, Westworld, oh, show. Uh, the Best HBO show, show Westworld. Uh, we're podcasting Sarcasm. about that. Joe Garfine and I are having a lot of fun. Uh, really love talking to Joe every week, and we're having a good time. And every once in a while, we're having bonus podcasts in the Westworld beat, uh, including one that we did last week, Antonio, uh, with the great robot scientist himself, Christian Hubicki, who told me uh, that his favorite show on TV right now is none other than Better Hell Call yeah. Saul. Hopefully he's listening. Uh, so, love that guy. Uh, ho- hopefully he's listening as well, uh, but I, uh, I assumed it would be all right with you. I uh, extended the invitation if you would like to join us to talk some Saul at the end of the season, I think. That would be, be great. Uh, I would be more than all right with me. That would be a true uh, honor for so me. I'll, I'll knock on his door and see what we can do. And if you're listening to this, uh, knock on Christian's door. Just Send let him some know that's over. something he'd like to hear. Uh, <laughs> don't do that. Don't get him in trouble. Uh, he's, listen, he's, he's going to save us all with the... He's going to program some robot that's going to protect God us all. So. I, so. uh, I, tr- I trust Christian with my life. Uh, so uh, robots matter most. Um Mike and Jess, I guess, are wrapping up Star Trek Picard probably pretty soon here. Uh, I'm so far behind. I hear it's good. I'm really far behind. Uh, and I still hear there's pizza, and I still haven't indulged in any of the pizza. But it's out Sorry. there, I guess. It's out there. It's out there. And we're top chefing, Antonio. We are, we are at the top of the chef. Uh, we will be talking about Top Chef episodes, recording 
the weekend after they air and up in your feeds uh, sometime, hopefully late that weekend or earlier the beginning of the next week. They are on Thursday nights. So um, if you're a Top Chef fan and you weren't aware, uh, myself, Josh, Josh's lovely wife, Emily Fox, who is the expert on the panel, uh, the great Haley Strong, the great Kurt Clark, uh, and Mike Bloom, who is also great. Who is also great. <laughs> He's also, who is also great. He's very good. Uh, Mike we, will, very good. we have a rotating panel uh, where we po- podcast over at Reality TV Rehap Ups about Top Chef, a great season of Top Chef, all stars, uh, really, really stacked uh, talent in that cast for Top Chef. So if you're a fan of that show, uh, hopefully you're watching that season and check out our podcast. Yes. Yeah. And Antonio, what's the podcast you and I are doing in your dreams right now? <laughs> Trying to speak this into reality. I woke up the other yeah. morning uh, and I, with the idea that we had recorded a podcast called Characters and it was just about character actors uh, and their uh-huh. famous things that they'd done. And the first episode we recorded was about MC Ganey, uh, Mr. Wow. Friendly from Lost. Uh, but I specifically remember talking about the scene from Sideways where you see his junk. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't remember Sideways well enough to remember seeing MC Ganey's It's near jump. the end of the film, uh, and it's un- uh, unforgettable. Um, yeah, I remember him as like the security expert in Club Dread very yes, fondly. Yes, he showed up. I was re-watching. Uh, you just effed with the one apple pie that knows how to F <laughs> yes. back. I was re-watching Bosch, uh, which is a show I actually really like uh, from Amazon. Uh, and he just randomly showed up in Bosch. And I thought, MC Ganey getting paid. I love it. Uh, and yeah. so I don't know why, but I dreamt that we had recorded a podcast called Characters uh, where we talk about character actors. We also talked about uh, the character, the actor who played... Don Finucci in Godfather 2, uh, who oh, must wow. have been a character Very actor specific. for sure. Uh, one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I don't know why those were the two we talked about. Uh, but if I dream any more about any podcast, I'll let you know. Cool. All right. Yeah, just give us a recap of what happens in Characters, the dream podcast uh, that only exists in Antonio's dreams. Uh, now maybe in your dreams, yeah. dear listener, yeah. as well. All right. Don't steal my idea, anybody. Yeah, don't. Steal no, no, my no, no. God, no. Are you kidding me? Uh, we're going to do it. And if you, if any of you out there steal that idea... We're coming yeah. for you. We're 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 sending some quarantine send, and we're showing we're up. some hoes over. <laughs> <laughs> Not the kind you want, uh, I assure you. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. Well, we'll figure. We'll I know figure the guy out for fun this. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, you want to wrap us? What do you want to do? Uh, you can, do you want to uh, keep talking? Is there anything else you want to no, talk I about? Think, uh, now everybody can uh, pack your knives and go. No, that's not what we say. Around what, do, here. what do we say? We don't. We don't say a thing around here, do we? Pack your JMM briefcase. No, no we don't say that. Joe Dog. Well. We'll be back next we'll be week back talking better next call Saul. Next week to talk better, call Saul here at Post Show Recap. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Wash your hands.